Northwest Eye Surgeons and Sight Partners, I am Dr. Brett Bentz, and you're listening to The Focal Point, where we invite doctors and surgeons from the fields of ophthalmology and optometry to discuss the latest trends in medical eye care. Thank you for joining us. This episode is on the topic of myopia progression and the use of low-concentration atropine an evolving treatment that appears to be gaining interest. It is a pleasure to introduce Dr. Lee Gongaware as our guest speaker. Dr. Gongaware is an optometric physician who consults at our Whatcom Eye Surgeons practice in Bellingham, Washington, and Northwest Eye Surgeons Clinic in Mount Vernon. Her emphasis is in diagnosis and management of pediatrics and strabismus. In the past few years, she's worked in partnership with one of our ophthalmic surgeons who specializes in pediatric ophthalmology and strabismus. So, Dr. Gongawer, thank you very much for joining us today. Hello, and thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to talk about an interesting topic. As you know, worldwide, we are seeing a significant increase in myopia. It has ramifications, especially for higher pathologic myopia, because we have risk of retinal detachment, glaucoma, and choroidal macular degeneration. Now, these are uncommon, but as we see increased myopia, these are true disease risks for these patients. What enters the discussion for today's podcast is the use of low-concentration atropine as one of the options for management of myopia progression. To start off, can you provide us an overview, or what we call the 30,000-foot view, of the several treatment options that we have now for myopia control for young myopes? Uh, yeah, sure. So there's a lot of studies going on. There's a lot on the horizon that really varies by what country you're at. Uh, for the United States, there's been lots of interest in the low concentration atropine. Orthokeratology has been around you know, since the end of the 90s and has been shown to be very effective. Uh, there's some new soft contact lenses, the MySight, is a daily contact lens that's actually now FDA approved for treatment of atropine. And then there's you know non-FDA approved, still multifocal contact lenses that work great. And then for there's still spectacles, even if the you know the studies have been variable on some of those, like the executive bifocal versus PALS, for instance. And then there's some new ones in current studies that use peripheral defocus. DIMS is an example where they have little segments in the periphery of the lens that create that uh, myopic defocus that helps prevent progression. So there's lots you can do, and they're even looking at some combination therapies and studies. So combining, for instance, orthokeratology plus low-dose atropine. So a wide variety of options. Thank. That's an excellent overview. Thank you very much for doing that. So practitioners have to do their homework to actually fully understand their, the clinical options for their patients who are, again, young myopes that are advancing quickly in their prescription. Can you just pull it back to the, the two peer-reviewed studies on low-dose atropine for myopia? We hear a lot about the recent LAMP study, but also the initial ADAM study. Can you give us a little more detail about those? Of course. So the ADAM study, well, that was kind of the start of a lot of little research for atropine. That was the atropine in the treatment of myopia. 
and initially just looked at 1% atropine versus placebo. Uh, that did show that, hey, atropine is effective, but you know, a lot of the kids are having problems with near-sight blur, for instance. Then there was the Adam 2 studied, and that looked at the lower concentrations, so 0 0.5, 0 0.1, 0 0.01. And that, again, showed even the lower concentrations are effective. And then we have the LAMP study, which is the low concentration atropine for myopia progression. And that one looked at even lower options, so 0 0.01, 0 0.025, or 0 0.05. I'm going to start that part over because it wasn't even even lower. So for the for the lamp study, that's the low concentration atropine for myopia progression. That looked at some other low dose concentrations. There was 0 0.05, 0 0.025, and 0 0.01. And they did this over a three-year period. And the end result was really finding that the higher concentration of the low dose, so 0.05%, was more effective than 0.01 and 0.025, with those two being fairly similar. And the positive thing with this, you know, all three were effective, but the 0.05 was most effective, and there really were no statistically or clinically significant changes uh, between how patients tolerated those higher concentrations. Uh, so the LAMP study's been great. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Gonguer. Just excellent information, especially for practitioners. For, for doctors who are listening, uh, they likely have several questions that may be germane to their initiating treatments. So a few questions that come to mind are the following. Maybe you can address these um, and just a, your thoughts on these. What ages are optimum for consideration of atropine use? And also, what are the patient variables that help you make that decision on dose strength? So for age ranges, both the Adam and LAMP studies, uh, they looked at about 6 to 12-year-olds and then 4 to 12-year-olds for LAMP. So Adam was 6 to 12, LAMP was 4 to 12. Uh, all those age ranges, you know, as far as my reviews on those studies, tolerated the treatment quite well. Um, I have honestly done this in some older teenagers, you know, you know, 13, 14, 15-year-olds, and I've seen great results. I even had some teenagers who had some hyperoptic shifts as they were on the atropine. So sure, the studies have that upper age limit of 12, but that doesn't mean it's not going to be effective. I usually talk in depth with patients and parents about, you know, these are some of our treatment options. Do you want to try it? And we can see what happens. And then... For other factors, you know, it's really, are you going to be able to tolerate the drop? Some kids, as we know, don't tolerate having drops in their eyes at all. I've had uh, some discussions with parents who found it pretty effective to put the drop in even when the kid is sleeping, you know, for their really little kids. So that works great if they're not even aware of it going into their eye or they just get used to it over time too. The LAMP study did show, you know, 0.05% had some mild increase in symptoms, mainly for kids who had lighter colored eyes or were of lighter pigmented skin. They might have had a little more near blur or a little more light sensitivity, but you can you decrease the concentration further if you notice that or just talk to them about 
sunglasses if they really need, but those weren't very statistically significant. Um, well, it was statistically insignificant, really. So factors are, you know, lifestyle, ages, can you convince a patient to put a drop in their eye and tolerate it? And then, yeah, just talking to the parent about it as well. Well, that's helpful because the questions do surface about, as a parent, what are the side effects I should be aware of and report to you if I see them? Yeah, so because the concentration is fairly low with this drop, the side effects are quite benign. You know, there can be the light sensitivity, near vision blur, or some kids are just allergic and have that allergic response. Light sensitivity is the most common. And again, that's going to be in the lighter, lighter eyed patients. And we usually just talk about, yeah, you might want like some prescription sunglasses or a nice hat, especially in the summertime. I haven't had any patients want to stop treatment uh, because of their light sensitivity. So it's quite mild, but I do live in a very rainy state. So that might be part of Mm -hmm. it too. Um, For the uh, blurriness of near vision, again, and looking at that LAMP study, it was quite statistically and clinically insignificant. Again, I haven't had any patients say, no, I'm struggling to read at near. We have them come back for follow-ups. Once they start, we measure near vision, make sure it still looks good. No issues. And then I have yet to have anyone have that allergic response, but there are some patients who are a little more hypersensitive to chemicals. So I'm sure that could happen. But otherwise, no systemic issues, you know, unless the drop is ingested, but that shouldn't occur. (laughs) Thank you very much. Is there, Lee, a recommended length of time for atropine treatment? And if need be, can it be repeated? So that is a tricky question. Uh, For the World Health Organization, they recommend a maximum two years treatment of atropine. And that's just because there haven't been very long-term studies to show that you can go beyond that. The LAMP study itself, though, was a three-year treatment. And we have seen studies show that after stopping atropine, if you get regression, then you can always go back on the atropine. So for... When to stop, that can be kind of a trial and error thing. And there is the Comet study, which was the correction of myopia evaluation trial. And that looked at when myopia progression stops. Um, There's about 50% are done by 15 years old, about 75% by 18, and then 90% by 21, and 96 by 24. So I usually bring that up when patients hit that 15-year mark. I say, hey, we can trial off. You know, taper down, see how you do. If there's regression, we go back on. Or if you're happy and you're tolerating it, we can just keep going and try in a couple more years. So again, that's sort of a discussion with the patient and the parent and how they're tolerating everything. Thank you. Uh, one question that comes up is that, is there any risk of a rebound effect? If you use atropine, say, for two years' time, it's been stability, and then they go off, as a parent, is there like a risk of, a, again, a reactivation of progressive myopia? And how do you respond to that to patients? There have been some rebound effects. Um, the LAMP study actually did find with the 0.05%, once you stopped it, there was a little more rebound than with the lower concentrations. But again, that was statistically insignificant. And there was much less progression than the placebo group who did not receive any treatment. Um, 
there is a layup phase three that's currently going on right now that's looking at that rebound effect more in depth. Uh, but the good thing with that rebound is when you put them back on, it helps stabilize things. So again, there can be that trial of either tapering or just totally stopping. You know, studies have done both, seeing how you do. And if you need to take a step back and restart, you can. So that's, again, one of those things that's still being looked at and we don't have perfect answers for. But you just have to do some trial and error is how I like to approach it with patients and parents. Well, again, thank you, Dr. Gongawer. Great information. And I think it's take-home information for doctors who do face younger patients who have developed myopia progression. So thank you again. We also thank everyone for joining us today for this podcast series on clinical and surgical updates from Northwest Eye Surgeons and Site Partners. Feel free to visit our other podcasts posted on our website. Thank you. That's this week's edition of The Focal Point. If you enjoyed today's podcast, Please subscribe and tune in next week for another episode and update on medical eye care. I'm your host, Dr. Brett Bentz, and thank you for joining us.